The theme for the evening talk is Awareness and Freedom. It's uh, not unusual for uh, people coming into such uh, an environment as uh, this to be rather misunderstood and misjudged, in fact, before arrival. And sometimes People who come have heard from others, friends, relatives, family, parents, etc. Oh, don't you think it's uh, a bit selfish going off and meditating uh, for a week? Uh, others will come out with the view that to uh, come to a retreat for a period of time is uh, an escape from uh, the real world. And... So these views and opinions tend to percolate, tend to get expressed in, in various ways. And sometimes the impact uh, of, of that can create some doubt in our mind. And maybe meditating is uh, selfish. Maybe I've just signed up with a navel-gazing club for a week. And, and therefore it is some kind of avoidance which is taking place. And rather, in comparison, few people would say the same thing if uh, uh, you're all here on holiday on one of the uh, polluted South Devon beaches for uh, a week. There'd be much uh, uh, less comment, I, I suspect. But I think what is more important than the views and opinions from other people about what we do is much more what is worthwhile and what works and is beneficial for us. And I think one of the characteristic features of day-to-day -day life are roles. And probably you and I, we look at ourselves and we say, well, here's my daily life going by and within the context of my daily life, I perhaps have one, two, three or four uh, major roles in, in life. And these roles sometimes, of course, by blood, that means by family, roles by work or study, roles by lifestyle, roles by friend or partner, or husband or wife, or whatever. And... With the roles, naturally enough, comes the self. I am a, I do this. So with the roles and the self, that, in the course of time, builds up in our life. And our roles, whatever they are, matter to us. We think about them, we have feelings about them, we talk about them, we uh, act uh, upon them, we use them well or unwell or whatever. So there is the self, the I. It's associated very strongly with particular roles in life and these roles get expressed in life and other people know us, often, by our role. They think of us through our role, whether they are close to us or at some distance from us. So the mind, with its feelings, with its thoughts, with its memory, with its knowledge, with its with its tendencies, tends to form around a role, or roles, 
because usually we have a few of them. And you might well have noticed in the day or two here that a role or one or two of your roles in your meditation does arise in particular ways. If you haven't noticed, well, it's either a miracle or something else. <laughs> You're asleep. <laughs> and so, as I say, where the movement of the mind arises around something, usually, as I say, the role is in there, in the thick of it, in the center of it. The soul is there. And thus our life, our day-to-day life, with ourselves, with our thoughts, and with each other, can focus a lot, perhaps much too much, around our role. In that respect, meditation and awareness is, uh, as one of the features, is to get out of the role, whatever it is. And at times, we just hunger for that. And at times we realize that in certain roles how easily the pressure can accumulate, whatever the role. And it makes life difficult for ourselves and difficult for others, and life is then difficult. And so in a way, being in a retreat for a week is for the most part, uh, not for the most part, a part, is a period of time of being out of the role as it were, to get back behind the role. Who am I before I enter into a role? What am I before my role starts to operate? And that movement back from the role, get behind the role, helps us to get in touch with something else of our inner life. And we sometimes think, well, that might be an escape, uh, we might not. We might think it's running away from the real world because of that, what other people have said to us. But what we forget and forget very easily that that role not only depends on the support of others for it to be the presence of others, but it also depends as well on what enters into the role, the kind of feelings, the thoughts, the perceptions, the memories, the uh, intentions all work together to form the role. And for the most part, most anguish of life, most difficulties of life, most stress of life, is the way that our self, that means our role in life, is affected by something, or someone. Therefore we say, what's behind the role? We sometimes forget as well that any role requires the continual cooperation of others for its existence. And the the evidence of it is actually here in the room. One might say, well, right now I've got my teacher's hat on. I'm in this uh, role for better or worse. And in the communication of the role to, to you, it only works by your agreement, which basically is to shut up, I mean, don't mind me saying, and to keep silent. And if one of you felt and decided, well, I'm tired of his role, 
and you could just, you know, kind of get up and start singing the Handel's Alleluia chorus, it would have a significant impact on my role in, in this moment. Because someone says, well, I don't go along with this role and we'll, we'll convert Gaia House into Club Med or something. It's not a bad idea, really, but anyway. So, role coexists, it laughs, it survives through the active cooperation of others by their presence or by their, by their absence. So when you and I enter into roles in life, whether the sustained ones or whether new ones, wisdom, clarity and awareness is to know, understand this technical term, dependent arising. The role dependently arises, it depends on cooperation. Can't have an existence without cooperation. And it needs a clarity to understand that well. Otherwise, we, you and I, find ourselves in struggle with role. In that, we say, okay, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm meditating, I've let go of my role as a worker or as an employer or employee or a student or teacher or or parent, or son, or daughter, or whatever, the partner, whatever it is. I've stepped for these days and period of time out of this, these particular roles. I don't want to be engaged in them. I don't want to feed them. I don't want to spend my whole week here thinking about them and building them up. I want to be, to know that before the role arises. Who am I before my roles enter into my existence? It's a rather profound question. And we, we see sometimes, and rather regularly as well, that features of what we call personality begin to stand out, and we see, in fact, the role is influenced by the condition of the personality and the habits and the patterns of our inner life. So we drop the role, and sometimes we're pleasantly or unpleasantly start being aware of lots of things going on inside of ourselves, but nothing much to do with the role, to do with the movement of our inner life. And some things begin to stand out for us a little bit more clearly. The question is today, what's been standing out for us today? And it might be that something which is standing out for us today, it may be difficult, maybe some unhappiness or some pressure or some stress or tension or or negativity or whatever. And we say to ourselves, actually I keep seeing how this comes up in my day-to-day life in various circumstances and it's coming up much too regularly. And when something in the personality which is unsatisfactory, and it keeps repeating itself, it's a sure sign from the inner life that it needs attention. That's why it keeps arising. And you and I can say, why does this keep coming up? Well, it keeps coming up because it says, look at it. (laughs) Work with it. Attend to it. 
That's why it keeps coming up. And when, and when one has worked with it and looked at it and worked it through, it will stop coming up. So the role, one's own role, or the role of another, is really an outlet for the personality. In a way, it's an outlet for the personality. So, so here's the idea of role coming through, a picture, an image, an idea. It doesn't have any substance to it. You know, where, where is the teacher? Is it, you know, that I happen to be facing you? Does that make a teacher? Of course not. Does it, my legs any different from anybody else's? Of course not. Is it the words are coming out of the mouth? Of course not. So the teacher, the role, is a kind of a social agreement for the moment, dependently arising on our cooperation uh, together. And through it, features of the inner life come through. With a bit of luck tonight, you might call it understanding, or you might call it <laughs> deluded. I don't mind. But something is coming through via the role, and we say what happened before the role matters because it influences the role, obviously. Obviously. What is before the role influences the role. And we've got a chance, in our absence of the role, to look at it, to attend to that. In that attending to that, where something repeats itself, where something is all too familiar, whatever it might be, which is unsatisfactory, then our awareness, our responsibility, is to give that more care and attention in life. Not to justify it by saying, oh, it's because of my role. Nor to justify it because of the behaviour of others. They're factors and they influence. But what else is going on with us? And to keep finding and exploring and asking and meditating and wondering and experimenting on ways to handle a situation differently. Whatever, whatever it is. And that's quite a, a challenge to us. I think that's very unselfish. I don't think it's a selfish thing to do, to look behind the role, because if uh, we are warmer and happier and clearer, in our own heart and mind, the role will benefit. And since the role cooperates with, through other people, other people will benefit too. So meditation teachings are not to reinforce selfishness and self, they're actually to get behind it so that role or the sense of self is beneficial for oneself and others. It's unselfish. <coughs> In looking that we say, okay, the fe- some features of the personality need attending to. And we see, as I said before, that which keeps repeating itself. Just the other day, my, uh, well, our daughter, Gwendolyn and I, we have a 17-year-old uh, daughter. In fact, it, her birthday was last Friday. Now, those of you who um, know about uh, the law in England anyway, at 16, you can do this and that, and you know what I mean, this and that means. And then at 17, there's only one thing you can do which you couldn't do when you were 16 years and 364 days. That is, you can drive a car. 
So last Friday morning at 10 o'clock on her 17th morning, because she's not insured, we went to a car park, Grandmother had suggested, which was deserted, and she sat in my uh, car. You, you, you see it over there. The dents and the rust isn't due to her, I should add. And we drove around in circles in this deserted uh, uh, car park. She drove, and I said my mantras. And, and she said to me that her friends, her girlfriends, have got uh, a, bit, a few months older than her, have got cars. And she said this extraordinary statement. She said, um, Kelsey, that's one of our close friends, said to her, Michonne, that's my daughter's name, said to Michonne, you know, since I got a car, my personality has <laughs> totally changed and I feel incredibly liberated. <laughs> so, my daughter wants a car. <laughs> the, the thought that arose in my mind, why am I teaching retreat? <laughs> if this is what a car is offering, <laughs> we, transformation of personality and total liberation, we should all be in the nearest local car auction <laughs> buying cars because this is what it brings. So sometimes in relationship to uh, uh, others, we imagine liberation, whatever. Wouldn't it be nice transformation of personality? And we take whatever, symbols of the, uh, of, of the world or whatever, piece of metal on four wheels and give it and view it we, we invest it with incredible significance and for a period of time of course the significance with which we invest um, may bring about a real feeling of uh, change it may, it, may, it may do but it might wear off and with cars, it tends to wear off. Just as a friend of mine who um, was telling me that he knew a woman living in Russia this five or six years ago and felt very imprisoned by that society and by that culture and by, that, by uh, state control and, and all that went along with it. And then she went uh, and flew got a visa to go and uh, live in America, land of the free, do what you like, um, uh, individualism, etc. And for a period of time, so incredibly free. I can just do what I like. I don't need passes. I can go where I like. I can make money if I want to. I can do what I like. And, and she felt tremendous feeling of freedom. Which she hadn't known and protested furiously about. Well, uh, uh, living in Russia. But then, after a few months, didn't feel quite so free. After a year or two, and then began to realize it might all be like that, as all the hype says, but actually, it's what? It's the same old me inside. And I don't feel free because I don't feel free inside. Even though all this potential is outside. 
So when we're looking to bring uh, awareness to our circumstances of, of life, of course we appreciate and acknowledge the freedom. In this world it's an incredible blessing that you and I can say anything about anything. It doesn't make any difference, of course, but we can say anything that we like. And we don't have to be afraid of the, of the door knock at night. And having known a few friends in this world in uh, very unfree countries who campaigned and worked uh, together for social change and political economic change and living in the terror of the door knock at night for the arrest. And we, we, have, we have had these freedoms, but, and they're to be acknowledged. People, past generations, uh, have worked extraordinarily hard for all of this. But if there's no real sense of inner freedom, then where's the freedom? How does that relate? How does that work in our day and our practices uh, here? Um, one feature, of course, that since life is one day at a time and it can never be anything else, we can't leapfrog into the past nor leapfrog uh, into tomorrow, that we live one day at a time, life is one day at a time, so freedom, awareness and freedom are to come together, they come, can only come together one day at a time. And in that, we look a little bit more carefully and we say, oh, we divide the day up. Obviously, it's a another funny human idea, how can the day be divided up? But we say we socially agree to this, we put the timetable on the board. Then we look at the today a little bit more subtly, and a bit more carefully, what is the relationship to the whole of the day? And in the tradition, the Buddha used to divide the day into three periods. And, uh, um, I can't remember what they are, but anyway, there are three periods. And, uh, but this has relationship to do with the first meal of the day, then the meal at the end of the morning, and then there's no meal uh, in the afternoon in the, for monks and, monks and nuns. But I think of keeping a little bit to the same principle here. What is one's relationship to wake up to breakfast? What is the relationship, if you think back to this morning, what's the relationship to wake up to breakfast? What is the relationship from breakfast second to lunch period? What is the relationship from lunch to tea? What is the relationship from tea to sleep? And we say, well, those four areas of the day are fairly typical for us, whether we're here or uh, el- elsewhere. And how we relate to each of those four uh, areas is a statement about our life, the quality of our life, the experience of our life, our relationship to roles, our awarenesses or whatever. And sometimes, in the movement of all of that, maybe in one day or maybe a number of days, there's a, there can be a kind of vulnerability. One person referred to this in a small group today. And it's quite uh, common, and I hear it regularly enough, between energy and emotional life. And it does need care and attention. And what I mean by that is, it's not unusual that we go through the day and in one of these four periods of the day we feel uh, a drop of the energy. We feel a bit tired, we feel a bit sleepy, we find ourselves uh, yawning, uh, we've got head on the knees, 
or whatever uh, it might be. And in that, the energy has, uh, has dropped. And then sometimes we have a little time out, or we take a little rest, or, as I said to somebody uh, this, 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 this morning, having uh, um, uh, my um, good mother um, visiting, and then my nephew, and my nephew's mate, and then Thomas Yost from India in the house as well, and then uh, my daughter coming in and out. So when I got up this, this morning, I wasn't quite sure if I was on foot or horseback. And, and so sometimes you say, I'm oh, feeling very tired, and then we might take some rest, and this, uh, sometimes, and therefore there's an acceptance of the tiredness, and then from the acceptance of the tiredness, the energy comes in, and we renewed. And at other times, we say, oh, I'm feeling tired, and then we do something to energize ourselves. And I had some weights at home, and I um, uh, lifted the weights up and down, not too often and not too much, I might add. And it just stimulated the energy, and then was ready uh, uh, for, for the day. It, it may not show, I agree, but nevertheless, and so sometimes the energy drops and we say, I need rest, that's the wise thing, I need to act to stimulate the energy. But, an important one here, and I hear this so often, energy can slump, and, but with the physical energy and mental energy lowering itself, also it can create this vulnerability with the emotional life. And so there may be some, whatever, uh, problem in the emotion. There may be a bit of heaviness about something in one's life or those who are close to us. Uh, there may be some um, uh, um, um, pressure inside there. And when the physical mental energy drops, for some people it latches quickly onto the emotional life. The low level of the emotional life as well in those moments. And when the two go together, one feels depressed. One feels low, one feels really down. And it's a combination of, I think, mental energy, all the things that demand our attention, physical energy, dropping, and then emotion. Uh, and when they get the collision of those two, one feels rather low, depressed. And as somebody said in the small group today, sometimes it comes in the same time every day. There's a particular period of the day which seems always that much more difficult than other in those four times that I just referred to. And for others, it doesn't have that kind of rhythm to it, but there are simply times when one knows, one feels low, feels down, not much energy in the mind, in the body, and the emotions feel uh, uh, heavy as well. And it isn't very um, easy uh, to uh, handle or deal with. But, if there's enough energy, not always easy, but enough energy beforehand, or there's a regularity with the cycle of it, and that can be time of the month for people, or it can be workload or cycles or, or whatever, can there be just enough awareness, early in the cycle as possible, to have extra vigilance at that time, extra care at that time. You know, the, the, the tendency is that the tendency is there, energy is low, we feel a bit dispirited, we feel a bit uh, down, we identify with it, 
and then the habit and the tendency comes in as well and it reinforces it and then it becomes a statement of who I am I feel low I'm always low at this time I always feel down this always makes me unhappy or whatever and the self the tendency the low energy the difficult emotion all collude together all form together and that becomes in that time in those moments who we are and it's a kind of painful difficult downward spiral so to speak so if we know it's regular then it means prior to it ten minutes before half an hour before or whatever really bringing as much awareness how can I handle this particular period of time in a different way how can I handle this particular wave of difficulty differently and to keep enough awareness you know, and sometimes it means movement it means doing something quite different at that time but one's got to make the change do something different early because it's low energy and if one leaves it too late it's hopeless the lack of, there won't be the energy to do something to dance to go for a walk to uh, uh, listen to some music to communicate with another or whatever seems wise and appropriate so the catching of these things early so that we don't fall into the slump and so in the rhythm of the timetable here on the retreat sometimes we pick it up early and quickly in the retreat how am I between wake up and breakfast between breakfast and lunch lunch and tea tea and sleep sometimes at the end of the day there's the sitting from about 8.45 till 9.30 in the evening some people say and report that sitting seems like eternity one has come here to realise eternity one has a taste of it at 8.45 to 9.30 and think, oh God, give me death (laughs) and and the sitting can go on and on and one of the, the, the few advantages of being up here is one can just go 9.10, right, we'll call it a day today and everybody else is very happy and uh, good, it's all over with and we don't have to sit here waiting for the clock to go to 9.30 this is called power <laughs> so as I say, sometimes we come to a particular period of the day and it's the last period of the day there's very little energy left in the batteries and all that one can think of is the horizontal posture and uh, uh, the hot drink and uh, thank God it's all over it's the the great moment of liberation of the day (laughs) and yet there are times and situations of course in our roles and in uh, other matters where it isn't that easy sometimes we're sick energy is very very weak very very low sometimes we have roles of responsibility and no matter how tired we are we have to act despite the the strength of the tiredness or whatever so this 
a period of time in which one is, as it were, waiting for the end. And even the, even the, the disbelievers start praying to their God. They didn't know they had one until they came to a retreat. And they're just praying for the end of the sitting to come. Oh dear God, please, why doesn't he ring the bell, please, etc., etc. So the mind, in state of um, tiredness uh, and uh, exhaustion, tends to be in the waiting for the end, waiting for something to be uh, over. Can we hang in and stay steady in the very lowest energy cycle? When it hurts, when we're tired, when we just want it to be over, when, we, when, when the negativity is coming, coming up. God, what's happened to them? They must, must have gone into Samadhi. It must be at least 10 or 11 p.m. by this time. No, no, it's not. It's 9.20. And mind is creating, creating, and creating, wanting, wanting, wanting something to be over. And here one knows it, you know, it will be over. You know, we're decent people. We end the sitting at 9.30. Or before, but some situations we don't have that comfort. We don't have that, and what we've got is deep tiredness, deep exhaustion, very lack lack of energy in that period of time, and it's no easy task to stay steady with it. And I mention all of this because of the growing, as we well know, in our society due to many, many factors, hereditary, genetic, emotional, work, role, pressure, where the issues around energy become increasingly more spoken about. Where tiredness and exhaustion and stress and burnout becomes a, a, a much more of a talking point. And all the consequences of that they need to create all sorts of physical training industries to try to deal with it. But it still comes back to our awareness, our cycle of our day, knowing ourselves with the role and knowing our, and having and making time to be without role, which matters very much for the benefit of the role. And knowing those periods of time, especially with the low energy and the feeling life and the collision of those two. And those moments can be hard, hard for people. In attending to uh, uh, all, all, of the, all of this, posture matters a great deal. Uh, you know, the fact that we sit upright does place less pressure on parts of the back or legs or whatever, does enable and allow energy to flow a bit, little bit more freely, and with that, more happiness and well-being can come. And so sometimes we have heard and may have experienced say in sustaining the sitting and just being present as some of you know who are experienced in uh, uh, depth of meditation practice that when one feels the energy there's an awareness and acknowledgement of it and one begins to extend the period of time not through a great act of will but through acknowledgement and recognition perhaps 10 or 15 minutes before or 10 or 15 minutes after or longer and as one person was uh, uh, telling me uh, uh, yesterday that in the sustaining, in this case of the sitting posture 
sometimes the energy in heart, mind and body really begin to come together as a unified whole. And when it comes together as a unified whole, there's a a focus there, there's a, a presence there, and the cells begin to bring out a kind of rapture. One doesn't want to be anywhere else, nor do anything else, or enter into anything else, and that there is an appreciation and an acknowledgement of the stillness, of the posture, of the energy, uh, of the awareness of it all, being present with it, and sometimes when that gets genuinely steady, it brings out a, a rapture out of the cells, brings a delight out of the cells, a, a, a sweetness, a contentment, a joy out of the cells. And that has wonderful benefits, both for one's life, but the benefit and the staying with it then can, has the opportunity to enter into our roles in life, enter into our activities. Nothing selfish about it. The contribution to well-being and clarity in our relationship with ourselves and with others. Nothing selfish about that. So, in other words, if in the meditations uh, you find yourself settling in and a certain steadiness which is there and which is present there, just because uh, Russell and I uh, do this, one doesn't have to take any notice of it. And so sometimes we just find ourselves just steady and still and just letting the period of time extend itself just for a few more minutes. And one of the features of, 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 of that is that even with pain, in coming to the end of a sitting period, sometimes it tells us if the pain is in the body or if it's pressure in the mind. And we can easily confuse the two. So you're going through the meditation and then you find yourself waiting, waiting for it to be over, the great liberation. And in the waiting, the pressure begins to build up because oh, I can't stand this for a minute longer. Pain is you know, killing me and uh, I'm going to be trapped in this posture for eternity, etc. And then in the midst of these terrible thoughts of anguish, the bell of liberation goes and suddenly all that pain is gone one feels extraordinarily relaxed and one says I could go on sitting for another 45 minutes <laughs> now, there's no, nothing powerful about the bell it was just bought in a cheap marketplace in Delhi uh, nor the striking of it or anything, etc. But it's just a signal to us that the waiting and the pressure was building up in the mind. The mind didn't think it had anything to do with the mind at all. It was totally convinced it was the pains in the body that was the problem. The bell goes, there's a relaxation, and sometimes, as you know, the relaxation is so great that not only the whole mind relaxes, the body relaxes, and the pain goes out. Where did it go? And it's 
mind and body so closely related. And then we say, here we are, we get behind the roll, we get ourselves practiced, we get centred and grounded, we look, as I mentioned, for this cycle of those four periods uh, of the day, we take genuine interest in each and every one of them because this is our life, there's no other life, this is it. And we see what the roles are and the relationship to it because personality goes through roles. And in the absence of role, in the periods of time where there's some degree of contentment, some degree of steadiness, uh, calmness and presence, to really know it well. To really know it well. To know it so well that that sense of presence, awareness and the freedom of that calmness actually supports the role. It, it becomes the support for our role. It's on a, a foundation of inner peace. On a foundation of uh, awareness on a foundation of inner freedom and that supports the role. And then the role supports others, etc., etc. So, in that respect, in our meditation, yes, we're here for ourselves. Yes. But equally, as well, we're here for others. Yes, we uh, attend to our roles in daily life and yes, we attend to the inner life before the role starts before the role renews itself, as it will for, uh, for all of you. And therefore, the interplay of inner and outer uh, work together. And if you get this clear, get this right, and very clear and very right, then out of it comes love, and out of it comes a tremendous sense of freedom in life, and not one single role in life can take it away which is often a complaint that we might have about our roles. If we're inwardly free, roles won't take it away. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings know themselves before the role arises. May all beings live with peace and freedom. So let's have a couple of uh, quiet minutes together, shall we please?